Though the mills of God's justice, not my words, a rough quote of a poem. Though the mills of God's justice sometimes grind slowly, in the end they grind surely, and we're seeing that. Welcome to the consequences, America, of all the evils you keep perpetuating, you wicked people. Stay on the path most traveled. There's worse to come. God is saying, repent, you rebels, and bow your knees to Jesus Christ. That's my answer. There's more I could give. I mean, can you imagine, people, can you imagine the moral fraudulence of this, what I'm about to say? On the one hand, there's this leak from the Supreme Court about the abortion decision that will be coming down. And they go wild that their ability to just go out and abort murder babies on demand will be abridged. And then you have this thing down in Texas. Oh, killing these children, which is a horror. And yet they're the very same people who support the killing of children wholesale and been doing it for 50 years. You frauds, you moral imposters. And now in California, there's a bill that's already passed one stage that will permit infanticide. Looks like it's going to pass. The fraud, moral fraudulence, these people. God says, where are you? Wake up. Okay. Now, I want us to go back to the Gospel of John. For any who weren't here last week, we've started an exposition of the Gospel of John. We go to John chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole thing once again. We're technically in John 1, 6 through 13. But I want us to get the whole context. In the beginning, reminds us of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John comes in and he says, let me fill that out for you. Let me elaborate that. In the beginning was the word. And the word, which we find out in verse 14, refers to Christ. And the word was with God. Not only with God, the word was God. Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In him was the fullness of deity bodily. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being his relationship to creation. All things, this is Jesus we're talking about, who's called the Word. The Word is the ultimate expression of God. When God speaks, he speaks through Jesus. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. If it's out there, he is behind its creation. In him, we saw last week, was life. It doesn't mean that he was alive, like I'm alive, you're alive. Well, some of you may wonder if you're alive. But that's not the point. The point is in him. He's the very source and fountainhead of life and all that is. And that life was the light of men. Now he says the light shines into the darkness. We're surrounded by darkness. We're an island, this globe. And we're surrounded by darkness introduced by sin and Satan. And the darkness does not comprehend it. It does mean it just doesn't get it. The Greek word katalambano uh, has the sense of apprehend it. It's, it's, 
Both are true. But in this context, the darkness could not overcome it. Satan tried to do it, didn't succeed. The darkness did not overcome the light of Christ. It still shines. Now, here's where we pick up this week. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. In that day, in that day, John was filled with power. He was the voice, as Isaiah said, crying in the wilderness. John never performed any signs or miracles, but John was a mighty voice, and people were taken with him. And many, even after Jesus came, kind of thought John was the Messiah. So John, the gospel writer, not John the Baptist, wants that cleared up. And he said, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He means John the baptizer. He served this role in God's purpose. He came for a witness, a witness to Jesus to point people, behold the Lamb of God. We'll see that in, later on in this chapter. Behold the Lamb of God. That was his function. He wanted John, wanted everybody to believe in Jesus, not believe in John as the Messiah. John was not the light. You remember up here he said he was the light of men. John was not that light, but he came that he might bear witness to the one who was the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. I said we live in a world of darkness darkness around us and it's getting more and more suffocating an illustration on that in a minute but the light still shines it was never able to snuff it satan and his minions have done and continue to do everything in the world they can to smother the light of christ hasn't happened it's not going to happen if there is light if there is light in your life, Dustin, if there's light in my life, if there's light in Tim's life, if there's light, if there's light in Lisa's life, you know where that light comes from? It comes from Jesus Christ. If there's a philosopher out there who is wise, and there have been some who are, who are wise in a worldly way, but some of their wisdom is like God's wisdom. Do you know where that light comes from? It comes from Jesus, always has. If there's light in the world, it's his light. If there's light, it comes from Jesus, and it comes from his word. Any light that is consistent with this is from Christ. That is a work of the grace of God. John came that he might bear witness to that light. Verse 9, that was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. We have a conscience, don't we? We have a conscience that tells us when we do, we can smother that conscience, we can distort and twist it, and people always do. But we have a conscience that when we do certain things, red light goes on in our lives. I call it red light on our dashboard. That's not right. That's not right. You're accountable for that. That is not right. And that conscience drives a lot of people nuts, at least in the early stages. It should. 
The conscience is not perfect because we are fallen people and we have influences all around us which impinge on that conscience and get it mixed up a little bit. Some people might grow up thinking that wearing Argyle socks, pick a thing, is, is sinful. Their conscience has gotten twisted somewhere. That's not the light of God. But if we have an enlightened conscience, if a man goes messing around with a woman, not his wife, and it pricks his conscience, that's the light of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. He speaks through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has spoken his word. It all comes from Christ. He's the light of the world. And when you kill that conscience, and that's a penalty, when we keep stomping on it, trying to suppress it, eventually you can kill it. And eventually you get numb and dumb to what the conscience is telling you. You don't want to do that. That's when it no longer bothers you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble when it no longer bothers you. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Verse 10, he was in the world. He was in the world. He was here for three years. And the world was made through him. Astounding. The world that he was in, he created. The word. When in Genesis he said, let there be light. That was his word. In Genesis, whenever he said, let there be, that was his word. The father, the executive head of the Trinity, was in agreement with the other members that the son would be the focus of our faith. The son would be the vessel through whom light is shown. The world was made through him astoundingly. The world did not know him and it still doesn't. He came into his own, talking about the covenant people, the Jewish people. And those who were his own did not receive him. They did not. They crucified him with the help of the Romans. Let me tell you something that in times past I have told some of you. You want to know about Jesus. You want to know what a flashpoint he is in all of this. People can talk about God till the cows come home. And usually when they talk about God, not all the guests at the dinner table go under the table. They have their thoughts about God. Most of them probably wrong. But when you come to Jesus, William Buckley gave this illustration, the late William Buckley, one of America's great intellectuals. He happened to be a believer. I was listening to him on his program, very popular program called Firing Line one evening. In fact, it was just before I came to church, if I recall. He was interviewing the famous British journalist, Malcolm Muggeridge. And he was telling Malcolm Muggeridge 
of an experience he had at an aristocratic, Buck, Buckley was an American aristocrat, so he could get in places they'll never ask me to. <laughs> and he got in there, and Buckley was brave enough to say something about Jesus. Now, I said this was a crowd. This was a tough crowd. You could talk about Buddha. You could talk about Mohammed. You could talk about any religious figure you could name. And all the group would nod knowingly and, you know, as polite company. It was okay to talk about those things. Then Buckley mentioned Jesus as he would. And he said he looked at the hostess, his aristocratic hostess. <laughs> she looked like she'd followed a swallowed a frog. <laughs> she looked and the look on her face said, Oh, ye gad, why did I invite him? <laughs> why did I invite him? And he says that tends to be the reaction that you get when you go out there and you want to talk about Jesus. At least talk about him in the terms in which he really was. People don't generally like to entertain talk about Jesus. It embarrasses them. It convicts them. And makes them uneasy. What are they going to say next? I don't want to hear anything that's going to judge me, condemn me. Something about that name makes people uneasy. You can go out here, you, I mean you like me, can go out here in Lake Oswego and surrounding communities and you can talk about God you can even talk about the Holy Spirit and probably everything is going to go fairly well. I won't guarantee it. But you start talking about Jesus and they're going to say out of bounds. Out of bounds. That's when it's getting rich. Talk about Jesus. And the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And he was, the word was with God. He's the creator through whom everything came to exist. In him was life, this very source and fountain of life. And if we have life, he gives it. And that life is the light of the world. And wherever there is light, in David's life, in Sean's life, whoever, wherever there is life, he put it there. Well, where do we get this country in Western Jesus? Where do we get this man upstairs bit? John wants us to know as a result of the three years that he and the other apostles spent with Jesus, he wants us to know his appraisal through the spirit of who Jesus is. He wants us to know that our God is too small. He wants us to know our Jesus tends to be too small. This is who he is, he says. And in the rest of this book, I'm going to show you how we got there. As someone says, the prologue, which is what this is, 
is a foyer to the rest of the fourth gospel. We've got to know that and understand it. But not everybody disbelieved then or now. He goes on to tell us in verse 12, and I speak to any of you who may not know Jesus yet. I hope you will. But as many as received him. Anybody here who does not know Jesus, let me explain to you that you can't just sit there in your seat and say, God, if you're real, hit me. Not going to happen. The ball is in your court. As many as receive, he came, he died on a cross in order to atone for your sins. And now you stand at the foot of the cross, trampling in the blood of Jesus. It's your job to receive him. So far, you're rejecting him. If you haven't received him, you've rejected him. I am rejected, Jesus. No, you have. You have. Every day you live and breathe, you're rejecting him. And you're accountable for that. What God wants from you is to do what the owner, did I tell you this last week? If I did, it's all right. I'm repeating myself, folks. I'm only 105. <laughs> owner of a restaurant down here, I asked him how he trained his help. And he was telling, he says, well, it takes $4,000 to train one of these people. He said, we just teach him to say yes. That's what we're teaching you. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes. Yes, I'm lost. Yes, I am a sinner. God, you're a God of truth. That's light. And I'm saying yes to God. You've got to receive him. That's an action on your part. And as long as you refuse to do that, you're dead in the water. As many as received him, to them he gave the right the right, the word, again, the original word there is uh, like words in all languages. It has more than one meaning. And as C.S. Lewis says, you never know the meaning of a word until you've met it in its original context. So you've got to meet, what does it mean? He gave the right or the authority. Sometimes a word can intentionally mean both. And he gave us the authority to become sons of God. He gave us the right, the power to become sons of God. But we're not sons of God in a biological sense. We're sons of God, daughters of God. We're children of God in a moral sense, in a spiritual sense. We're like him. Um, you've met people. In your family, did you ever know? I called it gene jumped. Did you ever notice how grandchildren often turn out to be? I'm not talking about just a physical visage. Did you ever notice how in their habits, their thinking, they're just like their grandfathers or grandmothers? Did you ever notice that? I've got some grandchildren 
that or their grand that or their great grandmother made over. Spelled well, W I L L. Well, spelled stubborn. And it's there. You see it. Well, when you become children of God, it means that through the Spirit of grace indwelling us, that the virtues, the excellencies of God are communicated to us, and those are imperfectly refracted through us. We become children of God. If you're a child of God, if you're born again, and you were born again, if you came to Jesus, we'll talk about that in a minute. You, there's a likeness in you that is like the moral being of God. You love instead of hate. You forgive instead of being resentful. You may not be a perfectly moral specimen. You want to do the right thing because God is righteous. You want to share in his holiness. You want to give rather than just receive. You are kind and generous. You want to be, you try to be. We don't always succeed because my moral fabric is it's got fissures and fractures. I am not fully, you are not fully renewed. Every once in a while, the old Jim shows up and uh, he needs his butt kicked. And it happens. But I know who he was and he's not around too much anymore the way he was. My brother, late brother, he had real trouble when we started getting together again. Uh, real trouble not believing that that temper he saw when I was a kid wasn't still there. Explosive. Aussie had to tell him, Bernie, that's not Jimmy anymore. Because the Spirit of God melted all that out. It could happen. <clears throat> but it's not likely. That's the way it is in you. You're changed. He gave you the power. And he gave you the right to call yourself a child of God. And when you say you're a child of God, it doesn't mean that you and God match up morally in every respect. But your spirit has a kinship to God. Your moral inclinations have a kinship to God. And some people will look at us once in a while when we're out of sorts, look at, huh. But you know Christians when you're around them. When I didn't say church people. I said Christians. They're different. You meet them in the street. You perhaps have this experience because they have the power to be children of God as well as the authority to call themselves. You meet them in the streets. You meet them somewhere. And they're kind and they're sweet and they're this, that, and the other. And you get this feeling. I think maybe they're a believer. And then at some point, you get bold enough to ask. And the lights come on. They say, yes, I'm a believer. I knew it. I knew it. 
that's the way it works. We don't have it all together, but we are different. We are different in our inclinations. And that's why, by the way, that many of you sitting here and many of those not sitting here who happen to be elsewhere this morning, that's why they're grossly uncomfortable in the world we're in. Just seriously uncomfortable because it's not akin to their spirit. It's alien to all that they're about, alien to the way they think, alien to what they want to see in the world. Drives them bananas. But yet they know in the end we win and we win big. Keeps them stable. Well, as many as received them, verse 13, to them, he gave the right, the authority, and the power to become. It's a matter of becoming children of God. And who are they? Even those who believe, who trust in his name. Now, that's not just a creedal thing. We've got to worship that word believe. Do you believe X or Y or Z? When it comes to the Bible talking about believing, you cannot miss that nuance of trusting. I trust a lot of things. I trust a lot of people. So do you. You trust your wife. You trust your husband. They give you their word and you act on it. They say, I'll be back this afternoon on such and such a day. You trust that. And when that doesn't happen, you are seriously worried. Because you know them and you know their word is reliable. Well, we are people who are children of God. And one of the identifying marks, the major one, is that we trust God. We trust his word. We trust his promises. We trust his warnings. We trust him. And we act on him. You will, you've heard this before, you will act the way you believe. If you really believe it, you will act on it. A lot of people say, I believe this, or they'll stand up and get in a liturgical, maybe not just a liturgical church, but where people reciting creeds, I believe, I believe, blah, 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 blah. And don't give a hint of confidence in that word when they walk out. If you know the Lord, you trust what he says. You read his word and your heart agrees with his, I believe that, I trust that. The word says, the Lord says, if you're his, I will never leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. Well, there are some times when we feel terribly alone. There are some times when we seem forsaken. There are some times when things are going so bad, we just wonder. But at the end of the day, we come back like the psalmist to the end of the story. And we say, God promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I may not see him, 
I may not feel him or be able to touch him, which can, but I'm there, he says. Take it to the bank. We believe him. We trust him. The only reason many of us are sitting here is because of that. In spite of what we see, in spite of what we feel, the Spirit of God has caused us to know God. The Son of God ministering through his Spirit and his Spirit giving us his word brings all this to bear upon our hearts. And we trust him. It would be like my wife would say, well, how do you know Jimmy's going to do X? Or how do you know he's going to do it? Because I trust him. How do you know he didn't do that? She would say, because I trust him, I know him. We were at dinner with somebody the other night. I heard a cute story in that direction. It was impressive. And somebody said something about the husband of the lady's mother. And the lady's mother was not shaken one little bit by what she heard because her mother said she trusted her husband. He has eyes only for me. In that she was totally confident. Well, we know our God. We know our Savior. We know his spirit. And we know that all of his words are trustworthy. We are children of God and children of God do this. They believe in his name. And they believe in his name because there's been a radical transformation. Who were born. Well, we've all been born. We wouldn't be here. But they were born a second time. They were born again, as we'll find out later in this narrative. They were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. And what are those phrases intended to tell us? Not by any human agency, not by any human force of will. Nothing human is involved in this. We sitting here, those of us who know the Lord, it's possible to sit in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, week after week after week, year after year, and not know the Lord from a bunny rabbit. But I'm confident that most of you do because I see his fruit in your life. Yes, who were born, you were changed. We call it born again. We call it the new birth. Something happened back there is a work of Christ where there is light. He's behind it. His spirit is his agent who goes out. And at some point, you met the word of God. You may have met it repeatedly. It may have been like water wearing away rock. And your heart was rock and water just kept hitting it, started finally grooving it. And upon a day, upon a day, it reached the nerves and upon a day, I got it. Where have I been? I got it. You got it because the Spirit of God broke in. You got it because Christ, through his Spirit, brought light. You got it 
and you experience what we call the new birth, regeneration, regeneration. You became a new creature in Christ. Oh, you weren't perfected. None of us will be until Christ comes. You weren't about to be, but you're different. You know you're different. You're different toward God. You're different toward his people. Here's a people and you used to think, oh, those hypocrites, oh, no, 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 you know. All of a sudden you see them with different eyes. You don't see perfected people. But you see a people and you find a kinship. You find a bond in spirit. Sometimes like our children, like our husbands, why they tick the heck out of us. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you might want to strangle one another. I was talking to my grandson the other day, and the littlest one, he's just barely three, I think. And uh, he was trying to read to me a book over the phone. I couldn't tell what the heck he was saying. And it was going on and on and on about this book. And Alex said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. His mother is going to kill him. (laughs) Not really. His mother is going to kill him. Sometimes we feel like, I'm going to kill you, you know. But he's pulled out all the books, and they're they're scattered all over the floor. And now they've got to be put back. Well, sometimes people we know and love in a way, they scatter books all over the floor. They make a mess of things. How could they do that? Oh, gee whiz, I could strangle them. We won't. We won't. We have those feelings like we have wives have toward husbands upon a day husbands have toward wives. Or we have toward our children. Johnny, you drive me nuts, honey. Why would you do that? And once in a while we can say to one another, oh, you just drive me nuts. That's human. But we love them. Anyway, I told somebody a while back, this is very unusual. It may change tomorrow. I told someone, I said, how's your church? I said, well, that's hard to say. You know, it's sure imperfect. But I, I said, I think I'm maybe one of the rare pastors in America. They said, how's that? I said as my run through the mental scroll or roster of all the people we have there, I can't think of a one that I want to say, oh, I wish they weren't here. I wish they'd get the heck out of there. That's really good. How many societies can you come in contact with? That's a comment on they were born again. So many of you I know I see born again. I see things you do. You want to help one another. When Ossie and I came down from COVID, when her with her busted ankle, it's still busted, and but it's healing well. But we get over there. We've got so much to do. And uh, so many of you were calling, as you do others, were calling, wanting to know if you could bring food and do this and do that. And I discouraged much of them because I didn't want your labors to go to waste. Besides, I didn't have much appetite. It was kind of crazy. And uh, a couple of ladies just insisted. I think they were going to knock down the door and coming over and cleaning our house. Well, that really pressed Aussie's button. She loved that. 
And they came over, and one of them has a tennis elbow. I said, you can't do that with her. No, I clean my own house. And they were just determined to do it. So we've, we see that kind of thing. And the point is, it's not just me as a pastor. I see that happen with our people all the time. What is that? They were born again. And they see the family of God and they want to care for the family of God. That's what we call being Christian, being born again. We're not a perfect church. That's only me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I am kidding. Not a perfect church, not about to be. But my, we've got a lot of born-again people here. Born not of blood nor the will of man. This is no human work. This is, this is not a product of some, some species of human reformation. This is transformation. And this comes with the Spirit of God. Well, I want to say to any of you here who do not know Christ, The message is the same. It's always been the same. God in his grace gives you the option. He gives you a gift, the right to come to him and to bow at the foot of the cross and receive his son, who is ultimately the word, who was with God, who was God. And he wants you to bow before him and worship him and to confess that you are a sinner, that you are lost. No, you are lost. Oh man, are you lost? And you will go to hell. It's spelled H-E-L-L. I don't know all about hell, but I know you don't want to go there. I know you don't want to be cast into outer darkness, totally apart from the grace and any, any hint of the mercy of God. I know you don't want to be there. You're surrounded by God's grace. Somebody said just a little bit ago, I get a little tired of the rain. I do too. But I'm glad we've got it. Go to California. They're about having to wrap up the state because it's over. It's getting to be a desert in a lot of places. Water just disappearing. Well, I'm glad we've got the water. Personally, I could like a little less of it, but I'm glad we've got it. Thank you, Lord. But in hell, there won't be a hint of the light and of the grace and mercy of God. Whatever you want to say about hell, it's bad, bad, bad. You do not want to go there. And that's where you're headed. But God has given you the option. In his grace, he's given you the option to just stand up and say, you're right. I am a sinner. I am lost. And I do need a Savior. And that Savior I now recognize as Jesus. He who is the light of the world, he who is the source of all life, I need him and he's coming again and he's going to rule and to reign. Listen, can't you see this world, you, your Lord, can't you see it getting darker and darker? Look at Ukraine. Can you believe that? Don't think of you, all. Look at Chicago. They just murder people for fun every weekend. Look at Portland. Most of the big cities across the country, their murder rates are historically high. What's happening? God is saying, where are you? 
And God is saying, sin begets sin, evil begets evil. You wanted it, you got it. Here it is. Do you want to keep going that way with with that spirit? Do you want to keep going that way? I don't know when, I don't know where, but I know there's a reckoning and it's already started and it's coming. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe in his name, that trust in him. Don't be too smart for your own good. Here's one thing God says, and I'll wrap up this message. Because of this busted knee, I can't do this too well. So I'm going to try here. There is no way anybody in this room is going to come marching to God. Well, here I am, save me. Not going to happen. I don't care if you have PhDs running up both legs, under your arms, and down both hands. If you're going to know God, if you're going to be saved, you're going to come. I can't get down. You've got to come on your knees. On your knees. It's called humbling yourself. Got to come on your knees. Humble yourself before the Lord. I can tell you that. I cannot convince you of that. God has not endowed me with the power of anyone else. That's a work of the Spirit. So if you hear the voice, if you see the light, it is the light of Christ. If you hear the voice, it's his voice through his spirit. You better listen. You can only listen so much until like the conscience, the ears go deaf. And then you can't hear because you wouldn't hear. And you wouldn't hear because you didn't want to hear. You don't know. It's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous sitting in these pews and hearing this message. Pews, your chairs. Sorry about that. Until you, because then you can't hear. Because you wouldn't hear. And you wouldn't hear because you didn't want to hear. That's fatal. Eternally fatal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this prologue. For the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit, speaking in behalf of your Son, would bring light and life to those who do not know Jesus. Cause people who do not know him to humble themselves, not be too proud to admit that they're lost, which we all are. Let them bring themselves to the foot of the cross and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. My son asked me at dinner the other night, <clears throat> he says, Dad, why is it that there are so many people in the world who think that hell is going to be more fun 
who, because all the fun people will be there. I told him, son, it's, uh, it's, it, it's the, uh, the, the enemy, the devil's um, best interest. If he can get people to think that heaven will be boring and uh, all the cool people will be in hell. That's where the fun will be. It's entirely the opposite. And uh, um, we also talked recently about all the, the evil and suffering in the world. How can, there, how can God be good if there's so much suffering? Well, God didn't design the world for it to be a place of suffering. Suffering is, God is a giver of good and perfect gifts, amen? He's not the author of evil. He created the world to be a paradise, and we broke it. And then he gave himself to save us. So just following up with Pastor Jim's message there, he, cre- he made a way for us to come back to him. And uh, don't believe the lie that uh, 